We'll be reading 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Well, last week with Peter, we climbed the ridge line and saw our homeland in the distance, the finish line. And we saw that Christians are expats. They belong to the kingdom that Jesus is bringing when he returns to this earth. Now, this week, we're still on that ridge line, but we're starting the descent back into the valley of everyday life. And as we go down, Peter's telling us the difference that the finish line makes to the everyday, the difference it makes to our lives right now. And he gives us expats three main commands in this passage. First, He says, set your hope. Second, he says, be holy. And third, he says, live in reverent fear. Let's look at this first command, set your hope. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, so in in light of what we saw last week, in light of the salvation that's coming, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Like I said last week, we saw that Peter wants the people that he's writing to to focus on their homeland. And here he's saying the same thing again. In fact, he's commanding them here to do it. Now, this is not just um, Peter's hobby horse. This is actually the consistent message of the New Testament. Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 2, set your minds... On things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. And when Christ appears, our life really begins. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally find it hard to keep my hope set on what's to come. I think most Christians do. Peter knows that his readers are going to find this hard too, and that's why he tells them what they need to do if they're going to have any chance of keeping their hope set on Jesus' return. He says at the beginning of verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. He literally says that what they need to do is gird up the loins of their minds. Don't you love that expression? 
It's almost meaningless to us these days. It doesn't make much sense these, these days. I think the closest that we would get to is hitch up your skirt, but it doesn't quite do it. You can kind of see the image, imagery put in a diagram there for us to help us out, but it's all about being prepared for action and even being prepared for battle. You'd pull up your robes from your legs and tie them around your waist so that they were out of the way. Peter's telling them, that if they're going to keep their hope set on Jesus' return, they need to get their minds ready for action and even for a mental battle. We sometimes downplay the mind. You sometimes hear people say things like, what we need in the Christian life is more of the spirit and less of the mind. That's a strange idea that, that you just won't find in the Bible. The Bible never tells us to throw away our minds. Rather, it tells us to be transformed in our minds by the Spirit working within us as we hear God speak to us in Scripture. We need more of the Spirit and we need more of our minds. Peter's telling us here that getting your priorities right in this life doesn't happen by accident. It's a mental battle, it's a struggle. Keeping our hope set on Jesus' return, it won't come naturally. It takes right thinking, clear, sober thinking to live now in the hope of eternity. We need to stop trusting our instincts and examine our lives. Is our hope fully set on Jesus' return? This means if we're Christians, if we're expats of that kingdom, we should have a deep mistrust of our natural instincts. Naturally, we'll organise our lives around things like our work, our career. That's how we'll make decisions. That's where our minds will comfortably pull us back. Or our minds will draw us to set up our priorities around our families or around our goals and dreams or even around our sport. Now, none of these things are bad things. In fact, they're all good things, but they are terrible things to set your hope on. And yet the reality is, that's our default. The imagery of girding up your loins is lost on us, as we said, and the idea of hitching up your skirt just doesn't quite have the same impact. You know, if if I say to Mike, come on, Mike, hitch up your skirt, he's probably going to get offended. A friend of mine actually came up with a much better image um, that kind of captures what's needed here. He was telling me about his cattle farm, And as he was describing it, I thought, gee, that sounds nice. It sounds remote. And I was thinking maybe I should ask him if um, Kathy and I and the the kids could go there for a couple of nights to get away. But then he started telling me about the wild dogs that attack people there and have brought down fully grown cows. And then all I could picture on my relaxing farm stay was turning to Kathy and saying, where's Elliot? When my friend's on the farm, he has to be constantly alert, he says, constantly prepared for action. So he says it's no good taking a rifle because if he's working on a fence or something and a wild dog sneaks up behind him, a rifle's just going to be no good, not give him enough time to get a shot in. And so what he does is he girds himself with a machete, literally around his waist, because at any time he could be attacked. So he's always alert always prepared. Now, don't you reckon that sounds cooler than hitch up your skirts? 
But that's what we need to do with our minds. When it comes to keeping our hope set on Jesus' return, we need to be constantly armed with right minds. We've got to think clearly, think soberly. The messages of our world around us are so powerful and so subtle. If we don't prepare our minds, if we're not thinking soberly, then we'll find ourselves living for all sorts of things. Career, real estate, leisure, marriage, children, retirement. To see through false hopes, we need to keep the true hope clear in our minds. So what will having our hope set on the coming grace look like now, in the day-to-day? You know, as we descend down the ridge line into ordinary life, what does it look like? Well, what it doesn't look like is the idea behind this old saying, some people are so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good. Having our hope fully set on the coming grace doesn't mean that we float around in some kind of religious bubble. If you're not a Christian here today and you've been on the receiving end of this kind of Christian-y behaviour, then for what it's worth, let me say I'm sorry about that. Too often us Christians misunderstand what it means to be heavenly-minded. We can miss that it has an impact on us for the better right now, like this saying tries to capture, heavenly-minded for earthly good. Sometimes you'll hear people say to us things like this, if God's kingdom is so good, why don't you just kill yourself now? Perhaps that's on the days when we are more annoying than others. But Peter's telling them to long for Jesus' return, not to long for their own death. See, our our homeland is not out there somewhere. Our homeland is here, but it's here with Jesus ruling, having restored this world to what it was always meant to be. We long for Jesus' return, not for our departure from this world. And while we wait, instead of making us useless in this life, keeping our hope set on Jesus' return means that we're to be holy. This is Peter's second command to us as expats as we descend down the ridgetop. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Maybe being holy brings up all the wrong connotations for you. Maybe it makes you think of being religious, super spiritual, kind of pious and prudish, self-righteous, holier than thou. Maybe a holy person in your mind is someone who is so heavenly minded to be of no earthly good. Let's have a closer look at what holiness is. Peter's actually quoting a part of the Old Testament here. He's quoting Leviticus 11.44. If you read Leviticus 11, you'll see how they were to be holy. The context for them, it's all about being holy by not eating certain foods, swarming things, disgusting insects. Now that sounds pretty easy, but in the rest of Leviticus, you'll see that being holy for them also meant not eating things like pork or prawns. Being holy, like we saw a little bit with the kids, means being different, being set apart, 
being set apart for a purpose, being set apart for God. As the people of Israel were about to enter the promised land around 3,000 years ago, they were to be a set-apart nation, different from all the other nations because they belonged to God. And part of the way that they expressed their holiness, their difference, was by what they could and couldn't eat. But did you notice the way that we are to express our holiness, our difference? As we wait to enter our promised land, as we wait for Jesus, we show that we belong to God by being holy, in verse 15, in all you do. The idea behind this, the the word that's used here, means holy in your way of life, in your behaviour in your conduct. So for us, our difference is not expressed by eating different food. It's expressed in different conduct. And we're called to different conduct all of the time. So being holy, is, it's not about being withdrawn from this world. It's about being fully in this world, but being different to this world in how we live. No longer do we want the same things that we once longed for before we knew Jesus. Did you notice why we're to be holy? In verse 15 and 16 up there, it's because God is holy. Being holy is is about being like God. And we're to be like God because we're called to be His obedient children. Peter's saying that we essentially have two options. We either conform to what the rest of the world wants or we conform to what our Father wants. We can't do both. One of them will do by default. The other takes careful, sober thinking. And so it's worth asking ourselves, which option are we conforming to? Peter goes on to fill out the picture a bit more, and here we see his third command. Being holy in conduct means living in reverent fear. Have a look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. One side of the coin is that we should be holy like God because we're his children, so we should mimic our father. But the other side of the coin is that we should be holy because we call father someone who is an impartial judge. He's not like a corrupt police officer who lets off his friends and his family or a judge who just overlooks a crime. We know God. We know He's an impartial judge. Having Him as our Father doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. And so fear is the right attitude that we should have as we live as temporary residents in this life. The ironic thing at this point, though, is that if you're not a Christian here today and you hear this, You probably will be thinking at this point, yeah, I knew that's what Christians believe. They're scared of God, so they try to do good so that He'll let them into heaven. Whereas us Christians, when we hear this, are not thinking that at all. We're thinking, what's going on here? We've got no reason to fear God whatsoever. None. Because Jesus has done everything for me. He died for me. I will never face God's judgment 
Why is Peter telling me to live in fear? But Christian or non-Christian, if these are the things that you're thinking today, you've both got something wrong. First, look at verse 18. A Christian is someone who has been redeemed, ransomed, bought. So Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But, so here we see what we were ransomed, redeemed with, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. A Christian is someone who is already fully right with God, who fully belongs to God, who doesn't earn their way into God's good books. They can't. So God himself buys them out of their death sentence into life. So if you are thinking that you can get God on side by how you live, by being a good bloke or a good person, sorry, but it takes so much more than that. It takes a record with no blemish, no defect. And none of us have got that to offer. It takes the precious blood of Christ. In other words, it takes Jesus to die in your place. If you haven't acknowledged that, that you need Jesus to take your place, then there's just no way that you can get right with God. No way that you can belong to the kingdom that's coming when Jesus returns. And so fear is exactly the response that you should have because you're still facing God's anger alone. Those of us who are Christians don't face God's anger like that. We're right with God now. There's no doubt that God will accept us because of Jesus. He's given all that's needed. But rather than this take our fear away, Peter says this is actually another reason why we should fear. Look again at verse 17 and 18. 17, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. 18, for you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to your ans- from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. We were bought out of an empty way of life at an incredibly high cost. What we fear is living in a way that despises our calling. We can live in a way that despises the costly sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We should fear doing that because that would make God sad and also because God is our impartial Father, He will judge us. The judgment, the consequences referred to here for Christians are not in the next life. Peter is talking about consequences in this life. If we despise our calling and the cost of Jesus' sacrifice, God's not going to leave us in that awful place, in that awful way of thinking. As our Father, He's going to discipline us. Now, I don't know what you think of that, but believe me, it's a good thing. Do you think it would have been a good thing if someone at some point 
might have intervened in Mitchell Pierce's life to help him get a grip. He had a calling to live as the captain of the Roosters, on field and, and off. That had important implications for how he lives. Now, I know many of you are not super familiar with rugby and you think all rugby players are kind of like Mitchell Pierce as opposed to AFL players. But if someone had have actually managed to break through to him, to effectively discipline him at some point, before he acted so stupidly recently and threw so much away, would he have thought that that was a good thing? I reckon he would have. If someone had gotten through, it might have hurt. But Mitchell would still be with his team now rather than in rehab overseas. If you belong to God, he will discipline you. If God doesn't discipline us, it's either because he's not a good father, and we know that that's not the case, or it's because we're actually not his children. We should fear his discipline, but we should also value it because we fear even more that we could go on unchecked, treating his gift so precious, so costly, like mud. I mean, could you imagine saying to God, I know you have a purpose for me, God, but I don't really care. Or, I know you paid a high price, but meh. Now, we do live like that at times, but thank God that he disciplines us when we do. He sends things that shake us up, Things that remind us to set our hope on what's coming, to be set apart, to be holy for that day. Living in reverent fear, by the way, it doesn't mean cowering from an abusive God. It doesn't mean that at all. The kind of fear that Peter's talking about is not being anxious or insecure or flinching away from God. It's about being a child. A child who fears their parents in a healthy way doesn't live their lives cowering from their parents. A child who fears their parents in a healthy way loves their parents, trusts them and enjoys them. But they know that at any time, should they cross clear boundaries, they'll face punishment. They'll be sent to their room or they'll be grounded. That's good, healthy fear. And children who don't have that fear are missing out. Peter's saying to us that the one we know intimately, personally, whom we call Father, is also a just judge. So we love Him, we trust Him, we enjoy Him, but we also fear Him. In this passage, God has called us, He's birthed us, He's brought us out of one way of life into another with the most precious currency available. Look at just how valuable Jesus is, just how precious his blood is in verse 20. See, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was known by God, chosen by God, even before the creation of the world, to be revealed to us as our rescuer. God's gift to us is of infinite value because Jesus is of infinite value. I mean, doesn't it just blow your mind that the life of the one who made this world, who sustains this world, 
has been given so that you will live for God. It blows my mind all the time. Have you ever had a a shower and then realised that you've got no towel with you? Or worse, you know, you've gone to the gym and or you've played sport or something like that and you've been running around, you got all sweaty and maybe it rained and so you've got muddy as well. And then you have a shower and you just feel amazing, but then you realise that you've got no clean clothes to put on, you've just got that dirty, wet, sweaty, muddy pile of clothes that you've got to put back on. Don't do it. Don't go back there. We would never do that if we have the choice. And yet, when we go back to longing for things that go against what God has saved us to be, when we're not holy in how we live, holy like God, we're doing something far worse than that image. See, why conform to things that Jesus gave his life to ransom you out of? Why go back? Don't be caught out. Prepare yourself. Set your hope on what's to come, Peter says. And be who God has made you to be. Holy. Set apart. Special for a better way of living. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the precious gift of Christ's life in our place that makes us your children eternally, Lord, that that is not under threat when we trust in Christ. Lord, help us to see that when we know you as Father through Christ, when we call on you as Father, that it means that we ourselves have a calling to be like you, to be holy like you, that you have redeemed us through Christ to this way of living, in every moment, every day, every decision, to be like you, to love like you, to do good like you, to do what is righteous and pure. Father, we struggle with this as you know more than any of us. Lord, we ask that we would be able to be holy in our living by the help of your Holy Spirit living within us. Keep changing us, Lord, as we keep looking to Christ. Make us more like him. And Lord, we long for the day when we will be truly, fully holy, not just in how you've made us to be, but in how we live as well when Jesus returns. Help us to keep our hope set on that day. And so right now, begin to live out who you have made us be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.